This is episode 45 of Aloha Mora for August 24th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. Now that we're off of our LeakyCon summer of live shows, I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special fan guest today is Dana Lamb from Australia. Hey Dana, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Good. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what house you're in, all that jazz. Um, I am in Gryffindor. I was before I got sorted on Pottermore, and I'm... My wand is an Aspen and Phoenix core, and I'm very happy about that. <laughs> an Aspen? That's one we've never come across hmm. before. Yeah. Do you know anything about it? Um, it says it's for, um, like, attracted to quests. Like, the wand is attracted to quests and stuff like that, and new orders. Is that, so, and that fits you? Yeah, I think so. I'm attra- like, people often ask me to do a lot of things so, and attract me to new things, so I guess that kind of fits. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. I hope uh, this lives up to your expectations. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> okay, so we're going to talk about some of the comments from last week, which was, our, as Caleb said, our first week coming off of the live shows where we discussed Chapter 6 of The Goblet of Fire. So this first comment comes from our forums from Claire, and it says, On the topic of the crazy muggle clothes that the wizards wear, I thought it could be compared to Taurus in our world or even Halloween. If you think about Taurus visiting another land, they try to blend in but end up wearing some crazy outfits. Even even though we see people from other countries all the time, we struggle trying to blend in with them. Also, the wizards could have been excited to dress up like muggles, like children are excited to dress up like something else on Halloween. Because of this, they cho- they chose some of the most outrageous muggle clothes. So basically where this comment came from, um, we were kind of discussing more in joke uh, than seriousness of just that, the fact that they got these really crazy, bizarre outfits that are probably more difficult to obtain than just like the standard t-shirt and jeans that were yeah. to, be, to buy, but... Well, my favorite crazy muggle outfit is in the next chapter, chapter seven. So Mm -hmm. um, we'll give some claps when we get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Slow clap. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. This next comment comes from Lady Gimble. It says, one thing no one really mentioned when talking about apparition and the Weasleys was the fact that Percy only received his apparition license, only just received his apparitions license. Why was this? I checked his birthday, August 22nd, 1976, just passed. which means at the beginning of Goblet of Fire, he was turning, just turned 18. Students at Hogwarts learn apparition, apparating during their sixth year, or or Harry and his classmates do at least. Percy would have turned 17 the summer after book two, which means he should have taken his test then. Why doesn't he take it for another year? The Weasley twins pass their test the next year when they are 17. Um, Am I remembering incorrectly, but maybe I am. Is the class that Harry and Ron and does Hermione take it? I don't yes. remember. Ron yeah. and Hermione do. Harry. That's right. Harry doesn't. He takes the class, but he can't take his test yet. Right. Is that a special class? Because I feel like there was a special, like something that they said, oh, they're going to have them at Hogwarts this year. I feel like that's something that doesn't normally happen. I can't remember. Um, I don't either. Yeah, I really get that. I don't remember that so much. But, but regardless, like, they're not required to get their license. Right, so. like, I didn't get my driving license. I'm, you know, I'm able to get my permit when I was 16, but that costs a lot of money. But if you just waited till you were 17, it was free, which was the free? worst mistake. Well, yeah. Like, Welcome I didn't to have Jersey. To take, I didn't have to take driving classes, <laughs> like, whereas my sister paid several hundred dollars to take driving classes. Worst mistake I ever made in my life. But I was like, yeah, this will be great, and then my mom will teach me, and everything will be fine. Yeah. But uh point is that, yeah, it's not mandatory. Yeah, it does seem out of character for Percy not to do something as soon as he can, but I don't, you know, I think he this is... He was probably writing more about cauldrons, and it tied him <laughs> up, so... Probably. I think it's probably just a mathematical error on Joe's part, like, yeah. per the use. Not a big Con- deal. Continuity error, Joe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of those. Yeah. But we love her anyway. Yeah. All right, so this next comment comes from Supreme Mugwump uh, on the her theory, their theory on splinching. 
says splinting only results in immobility where there would be a major consequences for losing the part you leave behind, an arm or a leg, for example. My evidence? In half-blood prints, Ron fails his apparition test because he leaves half an eyebrow behind and Hermione says the instructor noticed. This implies that Ron couldn't have been stuck and unable to move because then the splinch would have been so obvious that the instructor didn't need to notice. Anyone can survive without half an eyebrow, so Ron could have passed if the instructor wasn't paying full attention. This is why Ron is not stuck when he loses a chunk of flesh in Deathly Hallows. The next part is purely my theory, but I think the immobility when you leave a large part of yourself behind like a limb is caused because you are not fully present at your destination. It's not like you've been ripped in half. You're still somehow connected to the limb you've left behind, hence no bleeding, but the fact that you're connected along a, across a long distance means that you no longer have control over that limb. That just makes me feel really queasy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. these forgotten yeah. limbs and stuff. I mean, I feel better about this theory than the idea of how I always thought of splinching, thanks to the movie uh, in Deathly Hallows, which was like, you know, gushing blood and like, like, oh my god, like I lost my arm and now it's like, you know, Braveheart style, like their arms totally off. I never thought of it that way. I always thought of it, um, and like just kind of, I don't know, just exactly how it's described in the books, I guess, where yeah. it's just like... Half a person standing there like, uh-oh, now right. what do I do? Uh-oh. Yeah, that's what I thought at this point. Um, but then I was well, I was saying in the last week's episode, like, that's where my confusion came in was why Ron was so, like, injured in Deathly right. Hallows if they're making splinching in this book seem more like an inconvenience than actual, like, tragedy. And I think I, I agree. Um, when I listened to that episode, I forget who said it, that... It was the fact that Yaxley was holding on to them and Hermione had to, like, curse him off. She probably yeah. hit Ron or something. Right. So. If you were splinched, would you have to apparate back, Sarah, and, like, put your body back together? Would that be, like, a thing? That's actually something I always thought about. Like, yeah. how did they rectify that? Well, like, I think have- the problem is that they need the Ministry to, like, come and fix it because the whole idea is they can't apparate back because they're stuck. Which is why I said, like, if you don't, if the Ministry doesn't act fast enough and then, like, the Muggles see like a limb in the middle of the street and what if they take the limb away because they think it's murder we've got a whole lot of problems now well no yeah. police department moves that quick so um, right oh, god so real um i was just picturing like happily taking a walk down the street or through the woods and there's like a leg laying there i would not be happy pleasant oh, god. nope a non-bloody one nonetheless just like Never. Okay, never, move, on, move on. Go to the next yeah. comment. <laughs> okay, so this next comment uh, is kind of broadly about the idea of Percy uh, from the forums from Bravenclaw, which I like that username. It says, listening to the rebuttal discussion on Percy, a thought popped into my head on Percy's character from a literary standpoint. Do you think his actions are an allegory for the Christian faith? He faces tons of grief for striving after what he believes in, but stands strong and doesn't relent. Hmm... I would say no, because I think, well, Joe has talked, like, countless times, like, um, in interviews about how her own, like, faith and, like, the, like, ideas behind religion are very much present in the story, and I think it's really easy to pick those out. So I think she intentionally integrated that in some places, but I don't think it's the case with Percy. There are some really interesting parallels, though, definitely between kind of his story about how in the end, he, you know, finally does relent and realizes that he was wrong. I don't know. But I, I, I agree with Caleb in that it just, it, it, I think it's, you know, an allegory maybe to something about actions, but I don't see it as faith, whatever faith that may be. Um, I just don't see it as being, you know, it's apples and oranges to me. Sure. Mm. Dana, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say I agree with Caleb. Yeah, just the whole... Um, it, it, if Percy was redeeming himself, like, becoming not a Christian anymore, I don't, I don't see how that would relate to the whole Christianity thing. I think he would just... Yeah, I don't agree with that very much. <laughs> Fair enough. But still a cool parallel to question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Good thinking. All right, and this last comment comes from Cassandra1447. It responds to Eric's joke that Hogwarts students at this point have only reached a fourth grade reading level. Uh, 
says, fourth grade reading level, Hogwarts may not have English classes, but I wouldn't say that prevents the students from reaching more than a fourth grade reading level. The students are always complaining about how much they have to read and write. The ability to analyze text and craft coherent essays can be cultivated through nonfiction as well as fiction. And in my personal experience, your reading level is determined as much or more by your personal pursuit of the written word than it is by your actual classes. Truth. I imagine Hermione and similar students would have a quite a high reading level well beyond fourth grade. We see very little fiction writing in the series, though. Beetle the Bard is the only one I remember ever being mentioned. Surely there must be more fiction than this, and do wizards have the equivalent of fantasy books, and if so, what would wizarding fantasy be? There's quite a few questions in there. Yeah, so the, the first part, um, I mostly agree with. I think I think that the, you, there are some things that you aren't just going to pick up by reading and writing that you need to be mm-hmm. taught. You need to be taught how to analyze things in mm-hmm. a not like in an objective way. And I don't think how that's to properly something. identify and use grammar like that's right? something you don't just pick up. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's certainly something that's enhanced through your own personal pursuits. I think that's what mm-hmm. separates people that maybe have are good at English and have like really like a prowess at the English language that's your personal pursuits maybe determines that, but a lot of it does depend on your school. I I just think that a lot of these things, like it's not like at the forefront of Hogwarts. I think it's just that Joe like had things about the school. She definitely wanted to focus on namely the more magical things. And it's like sort of the thing, like we don't see them go to the bathroom or things like that. We only (laughs) see a prefect's bathroom. Like obviously like this is happening. Like shower. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly. They bathe. They they clean themselves. Um, I think it's just like what Joe wanted to focus on with her story. Right. It's like no one wants to read about. And then they went to algebra. Like it's <laughs> yeah. And then everyone shuts the book. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I don't think Hermione would have like a fourth grade reading level like at the age of eleven though, because right. I know for me personally, I was at like a sixth grade le- reading level when I was year three. So she could technically be at you know like a seventh mm. grade reading level, even though she's you know only eleven or twelve or however would she however old she uh, however old she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, the second part of this comment, uh, which I feel like we we brought up however many books back, I feel like in Chamber of Secrets, um, about wizarding fiction that we never really see them read, fantasy books, um, or really kind of any reading that's just for enjoyment that's not bi- biographical. Bio- Is that a word? Yeah. Or news. Yeah, biographical. Or, yeah, news. So um, would they? do they have fantasy books? Is it about, you know, muggle escapades? Or is it, you know, it's not fantasy because all that stuff to them actually exists? Well, they definitely have um, fantasy books, but I, I mean, the, the only one I can think of that we see is um, Martin Miggs, The Mad Muggle. That's a comic book. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you would call that fantasy, but it's definitely fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and like, I, I feel like I remember saying this, whenever the last time we talked about this was that, you know, fantasy doesn't, oh, like, or any type of fiction doesn't have to be a totally separate world. Like, you know, like yeah. going to a totally different place. It, you know, it could just be the world that's currently existing and just, you know, what you're doing in it. Like just normal, true. normal narrative. So, well, if any of you out there actually think that there is some sort of wizarding fantasy book, um, Write a chapter or a synopsis or something and send it in because that could be really interesting. That'd be awesome. I think. <laughs> yeah. And we get Mina Lima to create it. Nice. Perfect. Okay. Done. She's going to green light it. Like, yeah. They, we won't even talk to them about it. They'll do it. They're cool. <laughs> okay. So we're going to move on to the podcast question of the week responses. And the question last week got a lot, a lot of responses. And I think it's a really great question. So here it is. It says, the port keys obviously play a massive role in the end of this book, but my question this week is why do wizards need so many different types of transport? Why don't they all apparate or take the flu network as they seem so proficient in getting magical people from place to place so quickly? Why the preference for uncomfortable brooms? Valid. <laughs> and our first comment comes from Mud, Blood, and Proud, 1996. It says, To me, it seems that there are so many types of transport to accommodate for wizard needs. 
I think apparition in flu powder would be used the majority of the time, but the other types of transport would be for those who need different modes of travel to get where they need to go. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty basic, but pretty solid response. My <laughs> initial response, there's just so many like factors that can come up that those two mentioned in the question that seem to be preferred don't always fit for. Yeah, exactly. And that was, you know, pretty much the consensus in there that, you know, just like muggles, you know, we have buses and trains and bicycles and skateboards and... And airplanes. And airplanes. Of course, I'm missing the obvious one. Hot air <laughs> Ravenclaw. Okay. Um, I have to agree with this comment because I was the one who wrote it. Oh, is that you? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> Oh, it's oh. awesome. I love that this happens. <laughs> I do. I had no idea. That's Because really... this is totally sporadic. That happens all the time. Yeah. It does. It's because our listeners are the bomb. I commented on it. I was like, wouldn't it be crazy if it came up on this show when I was on it? It did. <laughs> that, that's rad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good job. Claps. Claps for the guest. <laughs> so our next comment comes from Mr. Magic 24 and he actually has two opinions on the matter. It says, one, is that not every form of transportation is for all people. Some muggles get sick in cars or planes, have some difficulty walking. Uh, perhaps wizards are the same. Some get sick using port keys, flu powder, flying, etc. Remember n- that not everyone can apparate. It's supposedly difficult, and some prefer brooms because they are slower but safer. Thus, variety is important. Another reason is that wizards need to travel in ways that avoid detection. Instantaneous travel seems to be a theme, as it's a great means of doing so. Brooms and cars are perhaps the sole exceptions to methods of travel that avoid detection, but these two attempt to fit into muggle society instead. So the need for secrecy presents another reason for various methods of travel. Very good point, because we obviously, that's how we get exposed to so many transportation methods through the series, is having to, like, get around things. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. I'm trying oh, to yeah. think of other ones besides this port key. I like the uh, analogy that they make to just um, matters of preference as far as people getting like sick and using certain types of things. Because I would imagine apparating, because uh, I feel like when Harry apparates, he feels nauseous, right? That's the thing. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I don't I don't like feeling nauseous when I travel. So I would probably want to do something that doesn't cause that. Yeah. This actually makes me think, because, like, other methods of transportation that are introduced, we get, this won't be until the next book, but it does make me think about Thestrals, and it makes me wonder if Joe thought about the Thestrals as a means of transportation, or for the point of illustrating seeing death first. Like, which one she came up with first, and then was like, oh, it can, then I can just use this for this also. I would hope the stigma, the death stigma. Yeah, I would would agree, but... Yeah. Definitely. I agree that it could it could go both ways there. Of cuz she could have truly thought in the beginning like, yeah, like the horses are the car- carts are truly being pulled by magic. How cool is that? But I doubt it. Yeah. I think she had that planned. Right. Could also go both ways. Like she could have thought Thestral would look what would Thestral would look like and it would have wings, which would also be a transportation method, but also have, you know, the death part to it as well. Like mm-hmm. could go hand in hand. That's true. Well, add that to the list of questions we'll ask her. Yeah, for dinner. Mm-hmm, exactly. In five years from now, or however many years when we finish. Okay. <laughs> so our next comment comes from I Love Gingers, which, great username, just saying. Uh, it says, I just found a nice quote in Quidditch Through the Ages, Chapter 9, that says that before brooms were good enough to cross the Atlantic Ocean, wizards actually crossed it via ship. That shows that magical transport evolves just like muggle transport. And it also made me wonder whether there is another kind of transportation, except brooms, that could take you to another continent. Flu powder seems to be limited to Britain, and as we discussed, apparating such a distance would be too dangerous. Yeah, well, actually, in this chapter, I don't have it in my show show notes, but it made me think of it. They bring up the discussion of flying carpets. So that's, and it's outlawed in Britain now, but it was certainly used in wizarding history a long time ago. So that would be something that would probably be used for greater travel. See, I um, I always kind of thought in my head, cause this is gonna sound super nerdy. I'm <laughs> like thinking of like, oh, like how what would be like a really like easy way of magically transporting myself from like here to you know England? Because obviously I can't operate 
because that's too dangerous. Like, uh, and I was like thinking of like, oh, there should be like some sort of like device that's like specifically geared towards oceans of like almost like a super ski, like or something like a magical ski almost. That's like, <laughs> you know, goes like through like can like a, um, a powerboat. Almost yeah, just something for magical that is meant from going a coast to coast in like bodies of water. Hmm. Ships. But ships go super slow. Like, I want something, like, that's, like, apparating but for water. Sure. Like an apparating ship. Oh. Sure. Like a submarine that just goes and disappears and reappears somewhere else. See, I don't see why anybody personally wastes their time with anything other than apparation. Right. um, (laughs) Because. It's difficult. I don't care. Like, I would figure it out. I would make it work because. Spoken like a true Ravenclaw, but... <laughs> I mean, I would, like... No, I said that on the last episode. Like, that's the number one thing in magic that I say on a daily basis of, like, I wish I could operate. <laughs> like, I mean, it's beyond true. To have the ability and just be like, nah. Because then I could just go anywhere and, like... Right. That's, <sighs> like, plane travel tickets is what stops me from going places. Stupid, stupid. Okay. Our last comment on this topic is from Leah McCurdy. It says, I also think that the emphasis on transport slash travel and its abundance in the series comes from the great literary element of adventure. In a lot of ways, J.K.R. wrote adventure stories, and her plots focus around event adventure events. Naturally, adventure stories will include lots of detail on transportation. With such variety in transportation, the adventure seems all the more unique and spectacular. Not to mention the fact that each different kind of transportation seems to involve a different kind of magic. I just want to say that is the most times I've ever said adventure or transportation in one in one. Thing. I can tell you're like struggling to get through. That, I was Leah. That's a tongue twister, but it's a good that's a comment. Really good comment though, because yeah. the, actually the previous comment I was starting when you, we were talking about ships, I was thinking about the Percy Jackson series and like how they're constantly using different types of transportation. And this comment is speaking to that, how it always is involving like a different type of magic. And that's definitely what's happening here in the Harry Potter series. It's fleshing out the world, basically. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. what it is. She's a genius. That's all. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't said it in like four weeks, so I had to throw it out there. But yeah, a great comment. Very good. Very, very good. Sweet. So I think we have quite a few more of those great comments on the um, main site. So definitely go check those out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. It is now time for this week's chapter discussion. Chapter 7. Bagman and Crouch. So when this chapter begins, we see everyone showing up at the Quidditch World site, having just used the port key successfully, which the movie completely distorts how they appear by port key and is the most awkward thing in the I whole film series. I said last week, like, descending like angels from the sky. Yeah, yeah it's pretty yeah. amazing. Prancing, more like. But <laughs> I mean, that's um, true. Their legs are like... Yeah. They're cycling on an invisible bike. Crazy. Holy reindeer. Yeah. Uh, um. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so we're at the Quidditch World Cup site. How convenient for the series that it's in England this year. Who would have thought? (laughs) But um, that actually did make me think because I'm really obsessed with, um, like, the FIFA World Cup over in the Muggle World, and it's always, like, a big deal where it gets, um, like, where it's located. So it made me wonder, like, how the bidding process works and if it's similar to how, like, we do it in the real world. Same thing with the Olympics. Like, there's always, like, Mm -hmm. it's a big deal who gets to host. Um, because it obviously like, bring it's actually that makes me think about it more because like in our in the real world it's like really awesome to get to host it there's a lot of work that goes into it building new arenas especially for the olympics but here like in the book um for the world cup they're always talking about like how challenging it is to get everything situated like it's such almost like a burden to like have it um there well I think it's kind of, if you were to talk to the people that were actually managing and trying to organize the FIFA World Cup, or the Olympics for that matter, I don't think they're necessarily in the moment, like, jazzed about it. I think they're, like, exhausted. Whereas if you were asking, you know, residents of Brazil, for example, for the next World Cup, if they're excited for the World Cup, they'd be like, yeah, this is the most awesome thing to ever happen. But if you ask people organizing it, I'm sure they're really stressed out about it. So in this case, they're talking to ministry officials who are just burnt out. That's fair. And also, like, I don't know, how, how exactly does it work? 
Like for Isn't it just money. No. I don't know. No. Like well with the Olympics it's like it's like the presentation like Of course. Do you have the space? Do you have the capacity to get everything together? Everything on time, accommodations, transportation, like so much. The World Cup is all, like I would expect very similar, just on a smaller scale, because there's only one sport happening. So, right, just a couple of stadiums. So I would think that Wizards would only have to find a place that they can build an invisible stadium, invisible to Muggles, um, and that's it. Because what other obstacles do they have? Well, they still have to build the stadium. I think I remember them saying in the next chapter, perhaps, um, that it did, you know, people have been working on building it for a while. Like, they didn't just magic it up. Yeah, I'm sure. But, like, once they find like it, once a they find a place. Tall. Yeah, but once they find the place to put it, that's not a big deal. It's not like they, it's not like they have to buy the supplies. They don't need, they don't, like, they probably don't yeah. have to go buy lumber to make it. Right, but also like how Arthur said, the organizing, all the transportation, making sure all the whole statute of secrecy business is all taken care of. I'm sure there's quite a lot of tasks, not to the degree where, you know, the Olympic hosts and the World Cup hosts are chosen years and years in advance so that they can properly prepare for it. I'm sure this was probably not the case. Yeah, I just see it as being a lot easier. Yeah, yes. definitely. So it's surprising. They must have not faced too stiff of competition because if they had to prove the competency of the government to execute things we all know how good the british ministry is yeah well it doesn't molly say that it's been like a hundred something years since so she says it in the letter that she writes to the dursleys yeah i can't yeah i don't remember how many years um, i'm looking because i'm obsessed with knowing shocking (laughs) Mm. um it says Hasn't hosted the cup for 30 years. Oh, so oh. it's not as many, it's not as, many as I thought. <laughs> okay, um, moving on. So do they have it every year? Like, cause I've also like- thought about that. Because it can't be every four years because 30 is not a multiple of four. So. so yeah, I would assume every year. <laughs> I've never thought of it. Maybe it's every five years because yeah, we that's didn't possible. see... You know, they wouldn't have had it in the first book. They would have had it the book before. Yeah, but there wasn't a book oh, before. Yeah. So, and Harry was only introduced to the Muggle world, uh, the Wizard world then, so. Fair point. Joe um, planning things out perfectly. Ah, <laughs> uh, per Or picked a number out of her math hat. <laughs> Every um, five so years, he, that makes sense, though. We get another quote of um, how the Wizards are trying to fit in <laughs> as Muggles failing miserably. Um, and it says, both were dressed as Muggles, though very inexpert, inexpertly. The man with the watch wore a tweed suit with thigh-length galoshes. His <laughs> colleague, a kilt and a poncho. And, of course, imagining that is hilarious. I just I picture like the kilt, like, very traditional, like, green and white, like, you know, tartan or whatever. And then the yeah. poncho is, like, rainbow and, like, big and it just... Like it's, the Ugly Betty, uh, I don't know if anyone watched that show when she has the poncho in Guadalajara. I did not no. watch that show. No. <laughs> but but okay. um but yeah, if if she if this had said with sombrero, that would have like put the oh icing on the cake for me. I have a sombrero. That would be awesome. It would have been amazing. <laughs> Wait, really? Oh well you're in Texas, let me sense. Yeah, totally. Well actually my friend like I got it the first year I moved to DC. Um friends got it for her birthday because it was Texas themed. Oh. But oh. yeah. Oh. Fair sombrero enough. follows where he goes. Clearly. Yeah. Um, okay, so Arthur gets up to where he gets their um, lodging stuff, and he pays through their tents and the space, and it's just like, I don't I don't get the whole setup. Like, why is there a muggle who's in charge of this? Why are they paying in muggle money? Like, I get they don't, they have to use some sort of space that's associated with muggles, because there's not just a huge space like that, but... Couldn't, like, they have figured something out? I, I I can't get over that they're using muggle money to pay for it. Yeah, I find it really funny that this is, like, a legitimate muggle campground that they're at right now. Couldn't they just... I mean, where is the Quidditch World Cup Stadium? Do we ever know? Is, it, is that ever mentioned? I can't remember. Not specifically. Okay, I'm going to assume that it's, like, Hogwarts. It's out in the middle of nowhere in the Scottish Highlands. Um, there's no well, camp... because no, it would have to be in England. Yeah, it's in England. Point. Mm. 
fine. There are still parts parts of England that probably don't have muggle campgrounds. Yeah, I agree. This is kind of ridiculous. And uh, don't don't um don't quote me on this, but do, don't the trio apparate there in the Deadly Hallows? They do. They do. That's so yeah, it has to be within apparating distance of wherever they were. Which isn't right. Which they really only stay in England, so I don't think they leave anywhere else. Right. Yeah. Just found it weird. Um, and then, like, we see that the muggle who's in charge of giving them all their lodging, uh, Mr. Roberts, gets obliviated a lot of times, but I'm going to hold off on that because that's going to come up a little later. Um, and then we find out about these tents. So, like, I think when I read the first time way, way back, I was thinking, like, two tents? Like, having gone camping a lot when I was growing up, two tents for all of these people? How in the world is this going to work? And I think um, they... Harry starts to think about that as they get closer. But these tents are pretty baller because as they're going around, they see some pretty extravagant ones. I mean, obviously the Weasleys are not um, super awesome because, well, in that Arthur borrows it from a co-worker. But this is, like, really awesome magic. I want to go camping in these tents. Yeah, and I, on the point that there's only two tents, there's, like, let's see, there's Fred, George, Harry, Ron, and Arthur. Five boys and two girls. Like, how do the girls get lucky enough then, to have their own tent? And then Bill, Percy, and Charlie. Oh, right. Eight boys and the two girls. Like, how does that happen? I Come mean, on. probably Boys Percy's and girls are allowed to, to be friends. Outside, so. We determined that from Harry Potter. Girls don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> yeah, but, like, the Weasleys are progressive, I would, I would think. I just <laughs> seem, it just seems a little old-fashioned and a little crazy to cram eight people in a tent and two in the other. Well, maybe they're relative-sized tents, like. Well, yeah, they do Maybe. mention that the girls have a much smaller one when they leave to go get water. Yeah. So. But still, like, how does that work? How does that, like... And this scene is the one that brought us the iconic I love magic scene uh, in the movie. I love don't magic. we all, yeah. Harry? Don't we all? Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> but how did... <laughs> oh, Caleb is sobbing. It's okay, dear. You'll be okay. Pat, Pat you on the back. Um, no, but, like, I legitimately want to know how this... This charm, where it's this extension charm or whatever. I think it's a, I think it's an extension of the extension charm that uh, like Hermione uses on like the pink bag. I think it's almost that on a larger scale. Yeah, but that doesn't tell yeah. me how it works. Do you want like the chemistry behind it? <laughs> yeah, spell it out. No, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I get it. Just, it. Spell it out. Oh, um, <laughs> that pun not intended, but thank you for thinking I am clever. My question was, how did they even set it up without going inside the tent and seeing it was massive inside? Because if oh. you've set up a tent before, you have to go inside there sometimes and you hold it up as people bang in the pegs and, you know, you can't... Yeah. Like, you can't just stay outside the whole time. Yeah, she time. really brushes through the whole, like, how Harry and Hermione, like, sort of kind of figure out how to set it up, and then oh, all of a sudden, everything's just kind of set up inside. No, that's a totally valid plot hole that you need to go inside a tent to set it up. Yeah, that's one of those things, like, yeah. as a writer, like, I, like, I thought about that, too. Like, it's one of those things where you just, like, want to rush over that to get to what you actually want to write about. That's the kind of thing that an editor's supposed to pick out, but... Well, wait, happen. so you're saying that this is a plot hole? Maybe it's not. Maybe I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a plot hole. It's something that just didn't get described in depth. I think it's like one of those it's kick-ass better. pop-up books where when you open it, like it's like, wing, and everything is like open. That's what I imagine the tent is like. Yeah, like that's, th- that's probable. Like a 30-second yeah. it's, it's one of those things that Joe could easily explain if she like was given the question and she answered it, but like just didn't take a lot of time to explain it in depth in the book. She does that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <course>. she does. <laughs> just comes up with something on the top of her head and we accept it it's as just this, it's this. our like, gospel. You could have explained this to us in the book. The best part is, like, you're right, though. Like, if you asked her that question, she would know the answer. Yeah. Like, in a heartbeat. Ugh. If yeah. I could read minds, hers <laughs> would be the first one I would go to. She would probably be a skilled, a skilled occlumency, so you wouldn't be able to get in. Hmm, that's probably true. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll so, get Voldemort oh my... to do it for me. Whoops! <laughs> Can't he's dead? 
Spoiler alert. Oh, damn. Oh, it's Snape. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, sad face. <laughs> Sorry, Caleb. So the trio head off um, to get some water for everyone. And um, this is really awesome part of the chapter because they see tons of tents and hear a lot of languages. And it's just like one huge international tailgate party. And it's just, I just would want to be there to experience that like explosion of culture in that one space. This is, and this is what I was talking about of this being just one of my favorite sections in the book. Like, God's so excited just reading through this of wanting to just hear about everything and what all the different the way that different people were interacting and like even like i like the mention of the american wizards because that was really the only time i felt validated yeah, really. it was a little cliche that she uses salem though i'm like yeah, totally. oh yeah but i'm do. saying validating that they exist yeah like because yeah. at first i was like do american wizards not exist but uh yeah no american wizards are cool there's um there's a whole thread in my forum cats keep about all of the other international schools that we come upon in this part and it's really quite an interesting thread so if you're interested in this, you should definitely head over there and check it out. I'm just sad there wasn't any Australian wizards there. Oh. <laughs> I would have loved to see some Aussies there. That'd be, that'd be so cool. What cliche Australian things would they be doing oh. since the Americans are with the red, white, and blue and the Salem witches? Uh, I don't know. They'd probably be playing cricket or something like that. Having a beer? A I happen to know <laughs> that this, that you guys never say this, but they'd be grilling on the bobby. <laughs> no, they yeah, would be they cooking steaks probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd probably be grilling some chops and some steaks and whatnot. Nice. Um so this I really, really love this part of the book because as they're going through this, they see all of the green, obviously, because Ireland is playing and I am Irish, so like I get so such a swell of pride like seeing all of this and <laughs> I want to be there even more. Um and it's also really cool because like um, that all these English are really like coming out for Ireland because they are separate countries and there's like like if if you like study history there's like eh, there's there's some there's a bloody history there so I mean obviously because of proximity that it makes sense they're gonna vote, they're gonna pull for them but I was curious who we would I mean obviously I just said who I would support but between Ireland and Bulgaria if you were in this setting who would you pull for all right well let's think one second about my last name and uh I'm going to say Ireland with my 85% heritage. Um, like a true Ravenclaw, I can, I tend to go against the grain. So just for argument's sake, I'd say probably Bulgaria. Yeah, I go for Bulgaria, mm. too. Although it's probably Ireland, but I'm just going to say Bulgaria. Yeah, I like Bulgaria, too. I've always been supporting for them. Nice. <laughs> so we're split. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I like, I just want to say, I like <laughs> this little bit here, um... It's on page 81. It says, um, they saw two little witches barely older than Kevin, the boy who was poking the slug in the eye, um, who were riding toy broomsticks. And I just, it makes me smile and makes me think about the the picture in Deathly Hallows where Harry's riding the little broomstick. That's all. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about think that. that. I thought about that, yeah. too. It just made me smile. Like, that was the little Harry once. It's just cute. Mm-hmm. And he never knew it. Um, and also, as they're going through, they run into Seamus and Dean. And, of course, Seamus and his, his mom are super behind Ireland. Um, mom is pretty serious about her Irish team, make, wanting to know if Harry, Ron, and Hermione are also pull, pulling for the Irish, which I think is really funny. You know what I love? And this has nothing to do with the book. This has to do from LeakyCon Portland, is that after meeting Devin, like... I cannot separate him from his character anymore. <laughs> I know. It's so Because hard. they're like the same freaking person. Um, yeah. So I read Seamus now and I think Devin and I can't, I can't help it. Um, in this part in particular, um, just it made me laugh when I was reading it. I had to read it like four times because I couldn't. Yeah. I literally like rereading it this time now also experience this because like, Seamus here being like all pumped about Ireland. Like I just envision like Devin being really excited about yeah. Ireland playing. Exactly, exactly. Um there's also this really interesting and amusing part for obvious reasons where they see a poster they start to see more of the Bulgaria support and they see a poster of Crumb and Hermione kind of criticizes the poster about how like um 
some of Crumb's features in the poster, but Ron defends it, saying, like, who cares what he looks like? He's freaking amazing. Which, <laughs> that sort of gets flipped a little later. <laughs> a little oh, bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like how she picked... He looks grumpy of yeah. all the things to complain about. But obviously very clever writing by Joe, showing how teenagers change so easily. Yep, flip of a coin. Yep. Um, and then we get to this really wonderful part. <laughs> Actually, I don't have the, I don't have like my hard copy on me. I'll happily read it out loud. So you should read it, where we get to meet Archie, who's okay. one of the best characters. So they're standing in line to get um, water, and there's like four little paragraphs here. I'm just going to read them, because it's so great. Um, <clears throat> it says, There was already a small queue for the tap in the corner of the field. Harry, Ron, and Hermione joined it, right behind a pair of men who were having a heated argument. One of them was a very old wizard who was wearing a long, flowery nightgown. The other was clearly a ministry wizard. He was holding out a pair of pinstripe trousers and almost crying with exasperation. Just put them on, Archie. There's a good chap. You can walk around like that. The muggle at the gate's already getting suspicious. I bought this in a muggle shop, said the old wizard stubbornly. Muggles wear them. Muggle women wear them, Archie, not the men. They wear these, said the ministry wizard, and he brandished the pinstripe trousers. I'm not putting them on, said Archie, Indig- indignation. I like a healthy breeze around my privates. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Archie, you tell them. You fight for your rights. And then Hermione, of course, has her fit of giggles, like a true, what is she, like 14 at this point, yeah. and like has to leave the line, and it's just amazing. That would be me. Which is maybe the only time I've ever seen Hermione do that. I think Binge is very like immature kind of about something. And I liked it. Why? And <laughs> just the fact that Joe wrote this, I think, yeah. is just even better. Right. Yeah, definitely. When I read this the second time, when I was a little bit older, I cracked up laughing. because I was just like, that's hilarious that she said yeah. that. It, it makes me wonder, like, where her mind was the day that she wrote this, because it's like just un. I mean, it's slightly uncharacteristic, right? Like. At this point, to me, making jokes like this, I don't know, it's just funny. She probably saw something in yeah. the street. I also think it just adds, though, to, like, the, like, celebratory, high-energy excitement. Everyone's, like, all over the place before the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. I wonder if anybody out there cosplays as Archie. If they don't, oh they should. <laughs> they should. That would be amazing. Here is, like, our challenge for listeners of the show who show up to Orlando LeakyCon next year. Someone has to cosplay as Archie. Yes, please. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so we get this. Um, I've actually had never paid attention to this really before, but um, a mention of how Bill, when he Bill Weasley was in school, he had a pen friend from Brazil. Um, I never really thought twice about it until now, but... Obviously, he did while he was at Hogwarts. Why Why do we not have this Hogwarts program show up for Harry? Like, why doesn't Harry get, like, a pen pal from some other random country? Because they probably don't have any horcruxes hiding in their house, so. <sighs> All right. But the point being, like, <laughs> is this just, like, a random detail Joe throws in and just for the sake of it? Yeah. The whole the whole idea was also not just a pen pal, but that he also had the opportunity to go on like an exchange right, program. Yeah. And the whole thing was that yeah, he didn't have the money for it, so they have like a study abroad program. Yeah, it's awesome. Maybe Bill dif- um, did a different subject to Harry because I know definitely at my school, if you do a, 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 a sorry an, a language, you can go on exchange and have pen pals and stuff like that overseas for whatever language you're studying. So maybe he just did a different subject to what Harry did, so we never got to see that sort of side of things. If you got to go on a magical, ex- like, like we're going to a magical school on exchange program, like study abroad, where would it be? Would it be different than like if you got the choice to do it now, just like without magic? Yeah. Do I live in the U.S. still? Um. Let's say we let's say we go to Hogwarts. Okay. Okay. Australia. <laughs> yes, come here. Okay. Yeah. No, actually, I mean, like um, that is the one that's like at the top of my list of places to visit now. Um. So. I still got my answer. Okay. Um. I'm I'm obsessed with the uh, kind of middle eastern and places uh like morocco and turkey and i'm planning a trip to morocco and i think especially since they were mentioning with all the flying carpets and everything like that i can imagine all this stuff with like potions and everything that's going on in like a moroccan kind of wizarding world that's my choice i think i'd 
probably go to America just because I, that's the top of my list to go there. If you went to Hogwarts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd, cool. I'd want to discover America and like Salem and stuff like that. We're boring. Salem's boring. No, don't don't shoot me, Americans. It's fine. My family spent unknowingly of how little there was to do in Salem. We spent five days there. Yeah. Wow. You ran out of things to do in a half Yeah, hour. Salem's yeah. little, folks. A day trip. Very much day trip. Yep. I think that I would choose Greece because Ooh. Greece has a lot of ancient history. And if we're living in a magical world... Ancient history would be a company with a lot of magic, so I think there would be a lot of cool things to explore there. That's a good choice. That's a good one. I want to change my answer. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) No. Can't have it. Does Lord of the Rings exist in the Wizarding World? Because if so, then I'm still going down. Well, then I'm going to New Zealand. Nope. Mm -hmm. You can't. You already said Greece. Sorry. (laughs) So when um, the trio finally get back with their water, um, we shortly meet Ludo Bagman, who for me is the ultimate aged frat boy. Um, I mean, basically. Just a hilariously bad character. Well, isn't he Not almost written, described but... just like that too? Like they said that he looks like an overgrown schoolboy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, the mi- one of the more major characters to never make it to the film. Oh yeah, that's true. I forget mm-hmm. he's not in the movie. That's a shame. He would have been good in the movie. Um, so summing up this scene, we find out that shockingly Percy is annoying, that Fred and George (laughs) make a bet with Bagman and Bagman doesn't make a big deal of meeting Harry. That's another thing that I picked up here that I did not really pay attention to, um, before is that like, um, when Arthur is introducing them, he like, it mentions that Ludo like does the typical, like look at Harry's scar, but he doesn't make a big deal of it. And that's one of the first made or one of the first newer characters, like, up to this point in the series that doesn't like do something about meeting the Harry Potter. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. They don't try. He doesn't try and shake his hand or anything. I think it's because Ludo has a bigger ego than Harry. And like, you know, that's true. Lockhart makes a big deal out of it only because he's trying to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Ludo carries this like very self-important, um, above you, con- con- almost condescending air about him with some very things. much, yeah. And we know, like further into the book, Bagman gets very. Um, I don't. I, I don't even know what the word would be. Not protective, because that's giving him too much credit to Harry. But defensive. I don't know, I don't know what word you say. Not even just annoying. Mm, sure. But but you know, showing him preference. Mm. Yeah. So. But, Bagman also um, makes this bet with the twins. And it's like a really ballsy bet for Fred and George to go out on. They say that Ireland will win, but Crumb will catch the snitch. And, I mean, we'll see what happens next chapter. But, like, at the onset, that's a really big that's a big gamble to say that the person who catches the snitch is not going to win the match. That's almost impossible. Like, yeah. even Bagman was like, oh, that's really impossible odds, but okay. It's yeah. just... And to bet every single thing that they had. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, I wish, like, I want to, like, get inside their head. Like, as a big sports fan, like, myself, I can't imagine, like, betting everything. And they, like, they don't miss a beat on it. Like, they are ready right then. They don't have a second guess. And I just did the conversion. It's about $380. Thank God for that so. calculator. <laughs> um, yes. Thank you, HP Lexicon. Thank you. <laughs> I use it so often. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I think also I I um I think it's interesting like you know that they it it says further on you know when they all buy their souvenirs and stuff like, you know oh Fred and George had no souvenirs like they'd spent every dime they had like because that you know was stuff that was more important to mm-hmm. them like making their investment in the shop rather than having these souvenirs but that being said it's pretty risky thing to do mm-hmm. but that's why I love them. I just wanted to say this just for fun because this translator is amazing. So it would be 190 pounds, $380, um, 280 euro, oddly, 550 Bulgarian lev, oddly, 428 Australian dollars, and um, zero in leprechaun gold. Leprechaun gold. So. <laughs> All right. I spent like half of that when I went to Comic Con, not Comic Con, Supernova this year. Oh, nice. It was spent like half of that, so that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It is. Yep. The twins have been saving up for a while for that, which is odd. 
but mm-hmm. ballsy. You're right. Ballsy. Good on you, boys. No guts, no glory. Um, and so shortly after that, we meet Barty Crouch, um, who one of the first things we... Well, actually, before... I guess right before we meet him um, is we find out that he, like Dumbledore, can speak a ton of languages. And it made me sort of wonder where do they learn all of these languages from? Because it seems like this is obviously a very rare thing, especially over 200. Um, so it's like something like, it can't, I don't think it's in Hogwarts, because I don't think there's anyone in Hogwarts to teach them that. No, I don't think so. I feel like it's almost in practice. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's books written on it, like how there are for any language. But uh, I feel like it's probably something that has more to do with in practice. I mean, I did know Elvish at one point, and I learned it out of a book, so. Same. Um, (laughs) I could not mutter a word of it now, but. Maybe there's just, like, books in Hogwarts library that just say how to speak Elvish, how to speak Troll, how to speak, you know, Mermish. Well, anyone can speak troll. I you just do point, point and grunt. grunt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Want to speak Valyrian? <laughs> I mean, I had to do it. You set me up. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, um, and then we actually do meet Crouch. And, of course, Percy, like, pops up. Like, he's going to get a souvenir or something. And goes nuts over Crouch. <laughs> Who doesn't call him by his correct name? And that is... Weatherby. So funny. Fred, I'm, like, so with Fred and George here, just, like, cracking up. Um, um, because I hate Percy. <laughs> I like the description that they gave of Crouch when they introduced him, that he was dressed, like, 100% the muggle, like, standards. Yeah, he compares him to, like, he comp- actually compares him to Vernon, which is very interesting that Joe uses that juxtaposition, considering they really, I mean, they aren't that diff- that similar. Um I guess it's just apples and oranges, but but are they not that similar? I think that- I don't think so. I thought about this earlier. Well, actually, they don't really compare them, right? Isn't it? They're saying that he looks like a banker, and that Vernon wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she doesn't compare him. That's what I'm saying. Like the juxtaposition, though, is just really interesting. I think that there. I think that there are a lot of things that they share. A lot of qualities that they share. Actually, I think Crouch is more similar to Petunia between the two, but. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. having like crap with their family and stuff, but I could see that. I think the part that stuck out for me at this point um, in this little bit here is that this is um, our fourth mention of Bertha Jorkins. Yeah, and it's only seven chapters in. Um, yeah, and I still think at this point, when I first read it, I still glossed over it. Like, yep. meh, who cares? But like, clearly, like <laughs> I should have realized. Okay, something's going to be going on here. So, and as I mentioned earlier, this is actually where they bring up the topic of flying carpets because um, Crouch and um, Arthur talk about um, the issue of it. And I think Crouch, if I remember correctly, brings up his grandfather having one at some point. I think it's his grandfather. But the quote from the book is really interesting because it says, He spoke as though he wanted to leave nobody in any doubt that all his ancestors had abided strictly by the law. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because we find out a lot about not necessarily his ancestors, but his descendants, um, one in particular, that is far from that. So it's really ironic that she chooses to put it that way. It's funny because it's a throwaway line. It's not mm-hmm. one of those lines that you understand or pick up or even think about until after you've read the book. Yep. Um, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to get a little commentary on the flying carpets. No yeah. effing way would you ever get me on a flying carpet. Like, that seems like the most ludicrous way to travel anywhere. Have you not seen Aladdin? It's like every girl's dream. Okay. Yeah, I grew up wanting to be Aladdin. I so. mean, that's all well and great, but are you going to take that over the Atlantic? Nope. Probably Mm-mm. not that far. Nope, not going to happen. If you want to fly me through a cavern of gold and stuff, like on a flying carpet, I'm down with that. But, um, yeah, that would never happen. I don't nope. think I'd even get on one. There's no edges. You could just roll off and fall and die. That's my issue. Exactly. I'm all for them. No. no. Want one for Christmas? <laughs> get Maybe only one that in- it hovers like an inch above the ground. That'd be mine. <laughs> like the toy broomstick. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. There we I'm go. down with that. I'm down yep. with that. So we get, as we meet 
Bagman right after Crouch, and I think this has to be purposeful on Joe's part. We we immediately like get this very stark contrast between between the two characters. They are, I mean, for the most part, polar opposites. And it made me think, was this kind of a stereotype that Joe sort of did? Was it really easy for her to write these characters this way? Because when you think about it, we've got Bagman, who is the sp- who's in charge of sports at the ministry. And he's reckless and cool and all those sorts of things. And then we've got Crouch, who is the government relations guy. Which, I don't know, like when you're thinking about like government, it's when it's entrenched in a lot of things, people kind of think it's boring. And Crouch comes across as kind of boring here and follows guidelines really strictly. And it just seems like she's very much typecasting the two roles there. Yeah, I think that plays a lot into why Bagman might have not been a priority in the films is that as interesting arguably as a character that he is he doesn't necessarily serve much of a purpose other than to kind of fill that foil i think to crouch like yeah i i was just looking to see if we knew the house for either of them i'm but we don't bagman was a hufflepuff that makes sense i don't think we know crouch but if i had to guess i would say ravenclaw ravenclaw yeah. What? What? Where are you getting that from? Well, Crouch. I'm, I'm guessing Bagman. I'm pretty sure it was somewhere. I, I feel like Bagman. Bagman says unknown. Hmm. I could swore it was Hufflepuff. Hmm. Probably Hufflepuff. because he's wearing yellow. Yeah, <laughs> but isn't that um, for the Quidditch robes? He the team that he supports. Yeah, the team that he used to the Wimborne Wasps beat for. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, I think it might have just been subconscious. Yeah, on exactly. Both of our parts. Yeah, okay. So maybe I just made that up in my head. He'd be a good Hufflepuff. Yeah, I mean, Hufflepuff suits him. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, but, yeah, I was just trying to see if that maybe was a correlation. But since we don't know, I don't know. But, yeah, I definitely... Um, Joe has a lot of commentary in all of her writing, even with these two new books, um, about government and all of that. So I do think that part of their description and how they're written is very conscious. And then as we get close to the end of the chapter and the start of the match, um, Harry, Ron, Hermione go to check out all of the vendors, which also would be so cool to check out all these like different vendors outside of the match. Um, and they come across these omnioculars, which from the description says you can replay action, slow everything down and they flash up a play by play breakdown if you need it which is every sports fan's dream toy. Like, I cannot imagine having something that incredible. Such a cool invention by Joe. It would be so cool to have when I was watching the footy. That would just be perfect. I would rather have um, the little small figure. Um, And I was trying to think of whose figure I would want to buy. And um, uh, the sports figures, I mean, there's plenty of people who i would like to buy <laughs> um but be careful cat <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean okay i didn't mean it like that um yeah but i i i'm not sure i could settle are you talking about magical sports figures or oh yes because i know so many magical sports <laughs> figures <laughs> that's what i was thinking <laughs> is it really that hard of a decision i know victor crumb and gwenog jones and Ludo Bagman and okay, <laughs> Oliver Wood, and that's I it. I can't really think of a favorite athlete, particularly. I love Paolo Antonono. I'm going nice. with Nice, okay. <laughs> but then he'd be ice skating on my palm, and that can't yeah. be very I'm going to go with impossible. Beckham and be really cliche and say it's only because he's attractive. <laughs> hey, I'm well, being honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the book, Ron's crumb um, figurine, he, he can, like, walk around in the palm of his hand, so it's like a little actual walking. I know, like, exactly. That's it, what I'm saying. Like, that'd be so cool <laughs> to have, just like a little Victor Crumb walking around your room, just be like, yep, walking yeah, around. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Hey, what's over there? Oh, it's just Victor Crumb. <laughs> <laughs> I want that in, like, an animal mm. form. Like, I want that technology in, like, a little mini... Like, it almost how the dragons are when we get to, like, the Hungarian Horntail. Like, I love, like, the idea of having, like, mini animals. Wasn't that the plot of Spy Kids Yeah, too? I was about to say, that's that's Spy Kids. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's... 
it's a pretty terrible movie. Okay, so. is that the one with Taylor Lautner? No, that was no. That, that was ouch. shock. He's not that in them. That was the shock and lava girl one. That shark. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have That's no idea. <laughs> Same company, I'm, but I'm too old for that stuff. <laughs> um, so Harry, I mean Ron, um, can't afford the omnioculars, of course. But Harry is rich. How convenient! And buys it for everyone. <laughs> so everyone is happy. You get on omnioculars. You get one. Everybody gets omnioculars. <laughs> yeah. It's very exciting. How um, Oprah of him. Right. <laughs> Harry's favorite uh, things. Yeah. Oh, nice. oh my god. Please let me be there for that show. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, that would be for awesome. now I'm just like running clips in my head of like seeing scenes of Oprah's favorite show. Oprah's favorite things, like I don't watch Oprah, but they would always play it on the news because, like, people just, when they find out they're on that show, start sobbing profusely. I would sob. Do you think, do you realize the things that we get? I don't watch Oprah, too. I don't, like, but if I was on Oprah's favorite things, I would sob like there's no tomorrow because you'd get, like, cars and a cruise and plane tickets and diamond jewelry and marshmallows. Marshmallows? That's on your list? She just, like, gives away, like, random food that's really great. It's my dream. Okay. Well, too bad she doesn't have a show anymore, so that doesn't happen. Well, doesn't she have one on the O network? Yeah, she has her own network, but she doesn't do the talk show anymore. It's a struggling network. Okay, we've spent way too many minutes talking about Oprah, (laughs) so. She gave away something the other day on, like, someone else's talk show. Can't remember what it was, but she gave away something like a car. Well, she interviewed Lindsay Lohan. Maybe she gave her some dignity back. So. <laughs> oh, oh! And there it is, folks. Now we're there going it to is. A place. <laughs> uh, and like that, we get a gong sounding at the end of the chapter, which lets everyone know that the match is about to start. Awesome. That's where we end. So let's move on to the podcast question of the week, and I think this is actually the first time I've ever done it. Oddly enough. Um, But I think I have a pretty good one for you guys, so here we go. So that muggle that we were talking about before, the one who was taking the muggle money and, um, you know, minding the campground, Mr. Roberts, we learn that he needs a memory charm, and this is a quote, 10 times a day to be happy. And that really made me start to wonder, what effects do we think that the repeated obliviation has on him? Um, And is it more or less severe because he's a muggle as opposed to a wizard? And why does he continually need them? Why, like, his memory keeps creeping back in? How does that happen? I thought that they were permanent. So I'm really excited to hear the listeners' thoughts on this one. That's a good question. Thanks, man. Yeah, definitely. Ravenclaw. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, now that, that we're wrapping up, we want to thank Dana very much for joining us all the way from Australia. Oh, thanks for letting me on. It's been... The one of the best days of my life. Aww. Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's right. I can tick this off the bucket list. This is one of my things to do. And we read a you, comment. Yeah. You have- Wait, we were on your bucket list. Yeah. You're you're way too kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're way too kind for letting me on the show. You get a yeah. High you five. get a high five, and you get yeah. Everyone gets a high five. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I um totally. glad you had fun. And if you would like to be on Alohomora like Dana, you should totally try it out. And um, to do that, you should check o- head over to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, or email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. Just make sure you have really great recording equipment and a recording program. In the meantime, you should subscribe to our show on iTunes and leave us some comments and reviews because we love to read those. And in the meantime, if you just want to get a hold of us for any reason, you can find us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore, or leave us a voicemail at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. And as always, be sure to check out the Alohomora store where you can find all a bunch of goodies. Uh, our new, we're having new t-shirt designs coming out soon. Uh, so yeah. Plus, there's going to be a European store, which is really exciting. So um, UK people won't have to pay $17 to get a shirt shipped anymore. So enjoy that. That's baller. Yeah. Woo! Um, Also, you should check out our smartphone app, which is available in the U.S. and the U.K. for the iPhone, iPad, and the Android Kindle. 
Um, I said those things like they were one item, <laughs> but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. It's $199 in the US and $129 in the UK. And it is also now available for Windows 8 phone users. It's the same price, but only right now in the US. And on this awesome smartphone app, you will find things like transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and more. There's a lot of stuff coming up from the road trip that Caleb and I did in the UK. So um, (laughs) you will definitely want to be checking it out because there is some... We went so crazy. There is some amazing, amazing videos coming out. So definitely purchase that app and uh, yeah, you'll see. You'll see. <laughs> what happens when you put two Americans in an Australian in the car and drive through the countryside of England, Wales, and Scotland? Pretty much. Yep. You'll. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. That's it. Let your imaginations go. But buy the app. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I guess that does it for this week. I'm Laura. I'm Caleb. And I'm Kat. Thank you for listening to episode 45 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. like a healthy breeze around my privates. Thanks.